97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. 11.30 a.m.-ish, so it's my favorite time of the week. Welcome back to another episode of Part of the Disruption. I'm your host, Weasel, and each and every week I'm joined by four of the room shakers, I like to call them. And I want to go ahead and introduce them from left to right right now, starting with boss man Steve Trang. How you doing this morning? Doing good, doing good. Excited, you know, uh, ready to get back at this. This is one of my favorite things to do every single week. Um, Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. We do sales training, and we just recently added sales leadership training. So that's something that might make sense for you. Definitely reach out to us. All right. And to his virtual right, we have Eric Brewer returning. How you doing today? Good, man. What's going on? My name is Eric Brewer. I'm a real estate investor, um, predominantly on the East Coast. I'm a proud member of the Collective Genius Mastermind Leadership Group. Um, just got back from from two days in Tampa, Florida with over 150 investors from across the country. Also am the uh, innovator of Novations um, and have been said to be the king of such. Um, so I'm just happy to be here. Super thankful um, to have this opportunity to chop it up with a couple friends. Um, plus, I get a chance to see Steve. There we go. There we go. Steve has been seeing you too, it sounded like, from the pregames. So. <laughs> <laughs> his virtual rights. Do not forget the G in Leon G. Barnes. How you doing, sir? Oh, what's up? What's up, Leon G. Barnes? And uh, I know this show is gaining traction because everyone at the Collective Genius uh, uh, Select event uh, this past week walked up to me and said, hey, 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 don't forget that G, Mr. Barnes. Like, I, I like it. I like it. I can roll with that. So these guys might have a chance here today as I talked for the last three days and don't have a lot of voice let, uh, left here. So they may have a fighting chance to win today. There we go. Let's see. Handicapping them already. Handicapping them already. <laughs> I like it. All right. And to his virtual right man who raises the championship belt pretty frequently on the program cj what's up man what's going on what's going on good to be back uh, another week man it's good to see the fellas uh, as well uh, everybody's looking good today uh looks like eric has been uh, i don't know he might have been in my bathroom man it's his the head is looking good at the top there it looks like it's mango <laughs> butter all right on the, on the top of the dome. Right, so it's, uh, it's, it's good Cocoa to be butter. back and uh, looking forward to get another W this week. There it is. There it is. <laughs> well, for everyone who's tuning in for the first time, potentially, the way the program works, we'll ask the panel a series of questions. They'll each have 45 seconds, roughly, to answer and give their initial uh, argument to or for against the subject. Uh, and then we will go ahead and open up the floor, open up the room for a little bit of disruption, if you will. 
So with that being said, gentlemen, you ready for question number one? We're going to go right to Let's left go this ways. time. We're going to go opposite. Uh, we're going to start with CJ this week. Question number one, how would you curb inflation in your opinion? Your 45 seconds starts. I mean, that's the million dollar question, I guess, right now, man. I mean, uh, I need to get in the White House and try to be on the team to figure <laughs> it out. Uh, I mean, look, the OPC is is cutting oil production. I saw from, you know, about a million barrels a day two. Uh, to try to increase the two million barrels a day. All right. So to try to increase the price of oil and, or will increase the price of oil and gas. And so I just I'm seeing a climate where a lot is not working. Uh, it doesn't seem like inflation is going down despite the efforts of the Fed. Uh, so what does that look like? You know, look, I don't know, man. I think you got to continue to increase interest rates. Unfortunately, that would be my plan uh, to try to slow down the economy. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be working. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on this one. Uh, but I definitely would try to continue to raise rates as they're doing right now. Okay, perfectly timed. 45 seconds. Uh, Leon G. Barnes, your thoughts on how you would curb inflation? We had a long discussion last week about government and just in general how we, you know, how we would do this different. And I think the the message that uh, we had last week was simple: was continue to do what they're doing, just slow down with it. Every thirty day hammer that they've been hitting us with on the interest rates going up. There's another uh, uh, increase coming November 1st or 2nd uh, during their meeting there. So another couple of weeks, they're, they're projected to increase those interest rates again. And I don't claim to know everything when it comes to this this uh, sector. Uh, but I will say this, that I would hold off on this hammer that we've been hit with every couple of, uh, every 30 days here for the last few months. There's been five interest rates hikes in the last uh, short short amount of time for sure all right uh eric brewer your thoughts i mean i think the, I, I think the, the the most logical answer to this is that this inflation was caused by a series of events right like if you just go back and you look at lockdowns and you look at printing money and you look at all of that stuff the people that were against that predicted this exact scenario they said if you do this if you do that you're going to create an inflationary period that we've never seen before and lo and behold look where we are so the problem with raising interest rates is that we're we're, we're fixing a symptom we're not actually addressing the problem what's the real problem with inflation people can't afford stuff what is raising interest rates do people can't afford stuff right <laughs> they're just buying it in lower bulk so I, I think that the, the, what may look like, you know, a solution in raising the interest rates is, is, is an age old, we're slowing down purchasing, which slows down, you know, the demand. I, I, what we're doing right now is not working to Chris's point. We need to reimagine our approach. Okay, great take. Boss man, bring us home. Your thoughts on how you would curb inflation? I think the answer is, is pretty simple. I don't think it'll, be, it'll, it'll ever happen with this current administration. But I think, you know, we have to stop this war on energy. And I think we have to help, uh, you know, get supply chain going again. You know, like the fact that we have these uh, tankers in the ocean that are taking too long to unload, the fact that we have truckers that want to move the supplies to the rest of the country that are being limited through, you know, labor uh, battles, right, labor unions and so on. And the fact that we have energy in the United States. We have a lot of energy in the United States. It was totally fine, uh, you know, in the previous administration. But until the government decides to stop the war on energy, and I get it, you know, they want to fight climate, but like at what cost? You know, like that's that's the question. At what cost are we willing to sacrifice everyone's um, uh, everyone's lives as far as you know the quality of life? 
So I think, you know, stop the war on energy, inspire confidence in the energy companies. And then uh, we should be able to make things affordable because energy is isn't is everything. Great. The real answer is that we should introduce a two-year presidential term for the first time ever and get someone in a position of power that, that has the, the ability, the audacity, and the, 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 the information, all the information's there to do what Steve just said. But that decision goes against a lot of the policy um, that these people have, have built their campaigns on. They've probably promised certain people um, legislation or grant money, right? Like, wasn't it just out that uh, somehow they were talking to, you know, Nancy Pelosi? There was an interview that was circulating last week, and they talked about how um, there was a connection to electric vehicles. They made an investment in the, the, the batteries, or it was titanium or something, lithium and these batteries for mass production of electrical vehicles, and they made an investment in that, and she didn't see a problem with it. I mean, come on, come on man. I, th it's I just... think the, the problem is tough, man, because the problem, to, Steve, to Steve's point, right, like, that's logical. I think that makes sense, but the country doesn't work on, lo like, logical sense at the end of the day. It works on policy and procedure. It works on, you know, backroom deals. It works on, you know, commitments and, and lobbyists, and we're, we're in an unfortunate moment in time in my opinion man it's 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 people are really dealing with real things right now you've got people that are suffering from job loss you've got people that are suffering from you know cost of goods and services increasing you've got people that are suffering from overloading themselves unfortunately on debt in the last couple of years i mean this thing is starting to feel like a, a ticking time bomb and it's like a bull that's on the loose and and you know the government's running around with the red flag trying to get this thing to slow down and it's not happening to Chris's point, you know, in a small business like most real estate investment businesses, you can innovate and make quick changes that impact and, uh, and, and turn the ship around pretty quickly. With the policies that are involved in the two-party system, even if you're innovative at this point, um, how much can you change in the short amount of time? So all they know is now is raising interest rates, right? So it's very hard to innovate when you have a two-party system that really doesn't agree much of anything right now <laughs> right yeah yeah that's the major problem i think they actually here's what I, I think they agree on far more than what we know they just have different boosters they have different sponsors they have different there cannot sponsors. be they have, <laughs> there cannot be that much separate how can you argue that what you're doing currently is working there's no facts to support that they right. stay committed to that policy because of their commitments to, to, to people, it doesn't impact them. They're, they're, they're being, I mean, let's face it. They're, they're, they're benefiting from the same policies that are destroying the U S economy. So it's not that they believe that it's the right approach. It's just in their best interest. That's it. They don't, they, they actually don't have that much different in, in their beliefs. It's just that they have different alliances and that dictates the policy and, and the things that they say and the way that they behave. They, they honestly don't believe the shit that they actually say. Okay, great points all around. Good first round. The voting uh, is still open, but it looks like we're working on a landslide. Round one landslide. Vince Chris said he didn't Jefferson have an answer. Right How is he winning? He said he didn't have an answer. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> you fam is strong in here, I guess. <laughs> so uh, it looks like round one is going to go to CJ. So congrats on the first point. CJ, how you feel after that first round? Hey, man, I feel as good as always, man. It's, it's, it just felt outstanding. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you're... he's like Pelosi over here, just accepting wins for no reason. 
Hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> All right. The second question that we're getting ready to ask. I'm excited about this second question. So before we go to that question, if you are in the chat, it looks like there's about 40 people in here right now. Feel free to vote. Do not be scared to vote. We are hurting feelings on purpose on this program with the panel. So do not be scared. We had 12 votes in that last one. Let's get a little bit more engagement. And feel free to share it. Send a friend in here uh, and let them experience question number two, which, gentlemen, if you're ready, we'll start with CJ since he was the round one winner. How would you handle a situation between employees such as the Draymond Green and Jordan Poole altercation? Oh, man, the video was just so cringe, man. I mean, I mean, a loaded punch on oh my guy, Jordan Poole. Listen, this is a tough situation, but for me, Draymond would have to go. Uh, I think Draymond is the heartbeat of the team, and he has been for years. But I think at this point, man, with that type of action, he's overstayed his welcome. Uh, you just can't have that type of interaction employee to employee. You can't have that type of friction. Because if you keep those two guys in the locker room or in an office or whatever the context of the question might be, the problem becomes is Jordan, P Jordan Poole is an upcoming budding star. I mean, this guy's good. And what, what type of impact does that have on his psyche, on his ability to perform, having to worry about an altercation with Draymond every time? And Draymond is not his, you know, max contract self anymore either. So, uh, I mean, I, I would have uh, Draymond shipped right out of the team, man, and we'd get somebody to fill that gap. All right, all right. Uh, second place last round was Steve Trang. So, boss man, your thoughts on Draymond Green and Jordan Poole? It's simple, man. He's gone. Like, he's gone now. Like, we're not even, like, he didn't even get suspended. He's gone now. Um, and am I going to qualify this a hundred percent, right? Cause Michael Jordan did the same exact thing to Steve Kerr. Mm -hmm. I'm not trading Michael Jordan. <laughs> Steph Curry does this to Jordan Poole. I'm not trading Steph Curry, right? These guys are like once in a generation talents. Draymond Green, you're gone right right now. So, but I think, uh, in a real world application, right in our offices, I think everyone should have the right to go to work without being fear or being fearful of getting punched in the face. And that's a pretty reasonable expectation within the organization so i think it's really simple i think he's gone there's not only is he suspended and fine but he is on the bench until we find someone else to, to take him on okay okay eric brewer your thoughts um he's got to go but but i think i i would challenge the concept that because he's not a max player or he's not michael jordan or he's not Steph Curry, that he somehow is held to a different standard than everybody else. I would push back and say, if it's Michael Jordan, if it's Steph Curry, they still have to go. The way that you respond to this as an organization establishes what you stand for. Now, I can also tell you that it also has to do with the value system inside of that organization. If this happens on the, the 1989 Pistons, it's no big deal, mm. right? I tend to think also, if you think about Golden State and where they're located and how they operate, I'm not sure this fits inside of their value system, but whatever you decide to do here establishes what you stand for. So he's got to go, but I think if it was Curry, he'd have to go too. I, I don't I don't waver on my my moral barometer based on how good or how average you are at your 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 job. Okay. Okay, good round. Uh Leon, your thoughts. Well, we talked quite often about core values, right? And I, last I checked, none of us have getting punched in the face as part of our core values, right? And so if I had, if I'm putting this from a team perspective or of my own personal employees, someone walks in and says, hey, this employee punched another employee in the face. I don't care who employee A is, they've got to go to Eric's point. 
Then I see the video of it. It doesn't change my, but I definitely know he's got to go for sure after seeing that video. I would have said the same thing before I saw it, but the sucker punch, the way that he went at him was even more so, regardless uh, of who that individual is. So when it comes to, you know, like to Eric's point, I, I couldn't care less who the individual uh, is that is doing the punching. You just can't walk to work, uh, walk into work and feel free to punch someone in the face. Got to go. Now, the voting is about to open. I do have a question for you guys and your opinions uh, for the discussion. Are we not drawing enough attention to the fact that Jordan Poole was the first person to place hands on him? I'm just curious what you guys think about that. That's a, that's a great question. Eric, go ahead. I, th- I see you. Go ahead. He put, he set, he, it, that, that was the, actually the second act of intimidation. Draymond walked from across the court and got chest to chest in his face. Right. He created separation. That That is is not the same as you know then he ran up on him and snuck him really he didn't bring his he didn't where i'm from if you if you throw up your set i know how to prepare myself when you walk up to someone aggressively in an atmosphere that is not conducive to fighting that's one notch below sneaking somebody from behind again which doesn't make it right or wrong but it's not like they both threw up their hands we're gonna box we're gonna settle this the team let it happen and he won it was an overly aggressive behavior when he had plenty of time to let that unfold and make a responsible decision. But that was actually him pushing was the second move, not the first. Okay. I appreciate the dissection of that situation for sure. Yeah. And, and to, to add to this, uh, that lunge is specifically like he created space and then Draymond came back into him and, and, and snuck him, right? I want to add some color. I want to add one more thing. On I want to add one more thing real quick though. Bob Myers is known in the NBA as one of the best general managers. Clearly, he's built a great team. Most of those players have been drafted uh, and developed through that system. But he got it wrong on this one. He got it wrong on it because he said, Draymond being Draymond, right? If you are a leader in an organization and it's your company, you can't say that's just Draymond being Draymond, right? You have to address it and say, we do not tolerate that. We do not allow that. And if you're not going to go to the level of firing them, there has to be repercussions of that behavior. Go ahead, Chris, and then I'm going to add some uh, color commentary to Leon's point. Yeah, I just think it's a tough it's a tough conversation because at the end of the day, I think Leon and Eric are right, but at the same time, I'm not cutting MJ, right? <laughs> uh, and I don't think any of us would have cut Kobe or MJ or whatever the case might be. I think we're in a different era uh, in terms of how things are generally handled. Uh, but somebody of Draymond's caliber, man, is just completely uncalled for at the end of the day. And I do hear Leon and Eric, but, you know, for me, man, I mean, Draymond just complete lapse of judgment, whether it's ego pride, whatever the case might be. I definitely think he's got to go if you got somebody like that. But when you've got a ringer on your team like an MJ, uh, we might just got to set up a ring in the office, man, and everybody just got to hands. <laughs> And get this thing figured out because I mean I don't know if I could cut him out the door and let him go, but that's just that's just me. Yeah, there's a guy in my office who has a a ring in his backyard to settle disagreements. So like, hey, you feel strongly about this? Both of you guys put on your gloves, go address this, you know. And I think that's you know a, a more appropriate way to handle it. They choose violence. So I just want to ask something real quick because you know Leon's talking about there was a shove and then there was like a lunge, right? So the way I broke my hand in college was this exact same exact scenario. So someone came up to me chest to chest. We're playing basketball. 
I didn't know what the heck was going on. It was a hard foul, right? Uh, but this guy was kind of in a mood, and he just he was already chippy the whole day, and he came up to me chest to chest. And I was like, it was a foul, right? I get it. It was a hard foul, but there's no and ones on me. That's just the way I play. <laughs> Leon knows this. Eric knows this. There's just no and ones on me. And so right after he got chest to chest with me, he actually shoved me. And I don't know exactly what happened. All I know was after the shove, there was a haymaker punch to the face, right? That's all I remember. So I think that it's easy to jump to judgment, but you know, there's these things that happen. Your brain's obviously in, in fight or flight mode. You know, you're not thinking logically. It's like, I got shoved. What is the appropriate reaction? It's things happen in a snap. So I'm not saying he's right. I think he's totally in the wrong. Right. I'm just saying it's easier to look at it from afar a than, you know, what happens in. I think we all agreed that he had to go to Chris's oh, yeah. point. There's a great document story in a book called Three Ring Circuits, where Phil Jackson, Kobe, and Shaq had this very thing happen in practice, where those two stars, mega stars, fought in practice, and no one would let go, obviously. So there's precedent in the NBA of fighting. Kenny the Jet Smith came out and said this happens all the time. But we're, we were asked the question of handle the situation between employees. Right, that, that's right. not our culture. We're not allowing right. someone to punch someone in our, on our teams. <laughs> and I think the, 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 not an excuse, but the, the reasoning of that this has happened before. Listen, there's lots of things that happened 25 years ago that now that we know better is not acceptable today. So to say this happened in the 90s or this happens all the time is such a bad, bad uh, you know, also, uh, reasoning as to why it should be allowed today. Um, everything's different today. The way that, the way that we drive, the way that we treat our children, the way that we interact with each other, social media, video, this video wouldn't have existed 25 years ago. So it was, it was, it would have been, it was not okay back then. It was easier to hide it. And now we can't hide it and it has to be dealt with. I mean, take a step back. We look at Aaron Donald attacked somebody else with a helmet. He's still playing. He attacked him with a helmet in practice. Still playing. Aaron Donald, man. That's, I mean, it's Aaron Donald. But Eric's right, though. This is the hard part about these situations. Eric's right. But at the same time, man, like we all play ball. And what we all know at the same time is that it can get pretty heated. It can get pretty confrontational. And I've been in plenty of fights playing basketball or playing football growing up. And then shook hands and been, been good with the person right afterwards. So, we don't know the entire context, but what we can visually see, yeah, man, we might got to set that ring up, man, if somebody lunged at me like that, man. If, <laughs> if Steve think... Train put hands on me like that, man, like he did back in college, man, we might got to swap it out. <laughs> Mark my words. Mark my words. This will affect them at, at during the season. At some point, this is going to come back up that their chemistry is off. We saw Mark it. it. I promise you that's going to come we up. We saw it with Draymond and KD. Mm. Yeah. And there was cost no them two championships. Out. There wasn't even a punch thrown in that one. It was an emotional punch. Emotional punch. Yeah. So Katie got his damaging. fielders hurt. <laughs> just as damaging. I agree. I agree. Uh, great second round. That was a great second round. The voting, it looks like CJ is slightly in the lead ahead of Steve. It will close. It should close with a CJ round win. So that would be another one for the U to take home. CJ, how you feeling after two? Oh, man, I feel great, man. It's never, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, Weasel, it's never hard, man, 
being a winner, man. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let My me man get... walks into the store and is the hundredth shopper every time he walks. In. It's like, oh man, I feel good. I feel good. I got championship rings every time I walk in. Uh, every time I get a scratch off ticket, it hits, man. It hits. Man. <laughs> well, if you're into sports betting, let me know because I need some hitters for tonight's game, please. All right. If you're winning like that, put me on a little bit. Hey, Weasel, hey, before you go to the next one, uh, RDC. I think that's I think that's the comedian. He did a really good bit on this. If you guys haven't had a chance to check it out. Right, but basically, it was like Steve Kerr saying to like uh, Draymond's, like, "You can't do that," and Draymond's response was like, "Jordan punching in the face, you won a championship." Like, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> I can do this. Anyway, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> All right, question number three. Looks like we're going to start again with CJ as he won the last round. How would you prepare for Q4, which is generally the slowest quarter in real estate? I'm preparing for quarter four, man, the same way I've done it for the past 13 and a half years, man. I'm loading the basis up. Um, you know, we've been moving a lot of deals, uh, businesses, you know, it's, it's weird. I mean, stuff is selling hand over fist still for us at the moment. Uh, quarter four for me is always a period of uh, investing heavily in what, the, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing. So in my businesses right now, I'm doubling down on my investments, whether and primarily in marketing, just to be clear when I say that, uh, marketing and infrastructure in terms of hiring, but uh, I'm excited for Q1 in many ways, uh, regardless of where the economic cycle is at. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of opportunities and taking advantage of a lot. So we're, we're going, you know, all in in terms of our marketing. And that's for sure. OK, uh, Steve Trang, your thoughts. Um, I think uh, I'll just speak for us, right? our, our organization. Um, right now, for us, we are really focused on not doing anything crazy, you know, uh, I've said this uh, on a video a week or two ago, right? Q4 is the time to survive. And I, that sounds crazy, I know, right? We're all ambitious. We want to crush it at all times. But for us in the Phoenix market, things are different, right? Things are slower. So for us, our focus is um, being responsible with our capital, not spending a lot, you know, uh, investing in the future, which would be nice. Right now, our focus is to keep uh, the, the P&Ls even, and then make it to Q1, Q2, because I genuinely believe our competition is already gone. Right? I genuinely believe that those that are still around Q1 and Q2 are going to crush it in 2023. So my focus right now is just keeping everything ready so we can launch the beginning of next year. Okay. Eric Brewer, how would you prepare for Q4? Uh, number one is I'm dodging the tax man. I'm trying to figure out how to reduce my tax bill in Q4, um, it's been on our mind for, for obviously the first nine months of the year, but now is when I got to make some some decisions about different purchases or allocations of money um, to be able to try and you know chip away at my tax bill the most. Um, second thing for us that we see right now, like we do a lot of advertising on television and with the political campaigns that are going on, the cost of my advertising on television is three or four times. Um, unfortunately for me, what that means is I'm probably going to have to triple my tax bill, my tax bill, uh, not that <laughs> I need to triple my TV budget to get the same results. What I think I'll get is better because why are politicians paying so much for TV? A lot of people are watching TV to get their news, tune into debates, all that stuff. So I think the value of that television will be greater. Um, but I'm going to have to double down a little bit. Um, some people are standing on the sidelines and this is an opportunity for me to push a little, not all my chips in, but I'm going to raise the pot a little bit and, and I expect to get a bigger return. Okay. And Leon G Barnes, bring us home. 
This is very timely because we just spent uh, the last three days at our Collective Genius Select event here in Tampa, uh, specifically talking about surviving and, but not only surviving, thriving through the next six months, because um, we don't believe that this is just a Q4, you know, challenge. This is going to be Q1 and even into Q2. If you, the things that you read, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal today in regards to the Fed making another hike uh, the 1st of November. And then it, it, they don't plan on, there's potentially two more um, hikes before there's potential um, uh, relief where they stop doing this. So we're looking at Q2 or Q3 uh, that you need to survive through. You need to focus on the business, the leaks within the business. All the things that Eric just gave you are so true in regards to marketing, direct mail and television costs will go up tremendously because of all the spending that um, the politicians are doing during this time frame. So, you know, this is a time uh, to continue to thrive, try to thrive through this, but also understand where you have leaks and get better at systems in your business and process. And if you need to run lean and get back into your business doing some of these things, generally the best person uh, on an organ in an organization of real estate investing as at sales is the owner. So you may not need to get back in to the out of the owner's box and into an acquisitions or dispositions role for the next six months. Cause I don't think this is just a Q4 thing. I think it's also going into Q1. So first I want to say, Leon, I think that's a great point. I, I think maybe we also forgot how to use the buzzer. Oh, um, no, 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 no. This so, is a great question. Uh, I had to leave no buzzer on this question. Uh, Everyone answers. But, hey man, let, let, let that man do his job. <laughs> so I think uh, what Leon's saying, right? Q4, like, you know, tighten everything down. Like that's what we've been doing for the last, uh, for Q3, you know, band down the hatches. And I wish, um, I wish we were as disciplined in Q1 and Q2 of this year as we were in Q3 and going to be in Q4 of this year. You know, I think that there were a lot of leaks that, you know, when, when the teams are winning, when everybody's winning, right, we cover up the mistakes, it's no big deal. But when it's slower, right, if you're going 50, if you're having a 50% season, right, all those losses matter. And so for us, we've been uh, um, tightening everything, everything down. So I think Leon's point, you know, Q4, if you haven't done it yet, start uh, tightening everything down. And another thing too, we didn't talk about it here, but in my experience, Q4 is the best time to recruit because Q1 is when everyone's ready to make a, a new change. So if you're gonna- if Let me give two more. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm not sorry to interrupt. Sorry, <laughs> but not sorry. Um, so the there's two things that I wanted to add to that and I knew I was running out of time. So number one is you are in the owner's box and you haven't gotten out of that and you're not back in your business, but you have a great team. Focus on these two things raise as much capital private money as you possibly can. There's going to be an opportunity, whether that's Q2 or Q3, as much private money as you possibly can. That was a common theme the last couple of days is I need more private money. Well, you've got to shine a light on it and get after it, right? That's number one. Number two is you need to make sure that you have the best sales organization, not only from an acquisition side, but also from the disposition side. You need to be the best that you can possibly be in it on that sales. And we've got, you know, people that are on this call that can help you with that. You know, make sure that you're reading out to Steve Train and his team. You need to make sure that you're training, retraining, and training again your salespeople to have the best organization take advantage. So I definitely think I'll win this round because, I mean, you guys are all saying what I'm saying. It's time to spend money. <laughs> all right. And, and, and what I mean by that when I say it's time to spend money 
is that I do think the opportunities are going to come Q2 to Q2 to Q4 of next year. And I think to be able to take proper advantage of those now, now's the time to really start getting your marketing willing. So Eric's going to spend more money on his TV ads during the election season because he knows that he's going to see the return on that opportunity or that investment over the course of that next six, eight, 12 months inside of the marketplace, building out your team, and your infrastructure, you're going to see the return on that investment and doubling down on that over the next six, eight, 12 months and be able to take opportunity or take advantage of that. So I, I think a lot of people are playing a scared ball right now. I think if you've raised proper capital and if you've saved proper money, uh, you know, to take advantage of opportunities when they come up and you haven't been out spending crazy buying Lamborghinis and buying mansions and whatever else everybody does. I think you're putting yourself in a good position to really take advantage of what's coming up. Uh, we're already starting to see it happen. I mean, rent rental, uh, you know, the, the average rent price is pulling back right now. Home sales are pulling back right now. Uh, I mean, everything is teeing itself up. Uh, I don't think now is the time to pull back investing in my business for sure. Here's the problem. People say it's slow in Q4, so I'm going to reduce my marketing budget. But what you market in Q4 shows up in Q1. Right. So it's slow in Q4 mm -hmm. and you're like, ah, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to do this. And then you're wondering why in January, February and March, you can't just turn back on the marketing funnel and get more leads. What you do today, you'll see the results for three to six months down the road. So when you have a marketing message that's going, why another reason why it's good to hire in Q4 is because if you work for a wholesaler or a real estate investor or a business that cut their marketing budget in half, you're looking for a new place to go work. Right. So what you do today is, is you're going to actually see the consequences of that three to six months down the road. Great points. Great points all around. Sleep around right there. I like that one. Leon G. Barnes is on the tale of Chris Jefferson voting wise. Six points. So, gentlemen, I'm going to give you a couple more seconds to yeah. maybe sway some voting. See, 18 votes here. 47 people watching. Everyone get in there. Vote for Leon so we can get that bum. Chris Jefferson off that. <laughs> there, there it goes. And you know what, Leon, check this out. It worked. It's a tie right now. So I'm thinking by default, this is going to have to go to Leon, CJ, because, well, oh. it should be landslide yeah, yeah. or nothing. Here's what I'm do, man. I'd rather lose, honestly, yes. than tie. That is horrible. That's what got us. That, that contributes to inflation, what you just did. That's bad <laughs> right policy. There. That is bad policy. Everybody gets a trophy. Live with the consequences of, of your actions. So as the, as the voting closes out here, I do want to, uh, to Steve's point, there's 46 people in here. I do want to encourage everybody to like the video, help boost us on the go. algorithm. And now, it looks like... Right now, he's got an honest win. It, it, it is a tie. It's 37% tie with CJ and Leon G. Barnes. So I, I think the point goes to Leon because he looks like he's on top of CJ in the results. So maybe his percentage wise was a little bit more. I think, I think listen, Weasel, I think that's fair. You know, fair. Leon's my guy. All right. <laughs> um, he's and, and, and Leon, you know, he reps CG hard and I love that for him. I think it looks good on him as well down there in Florida, but he's, he's got that lightning bolt energy in him, man. He's charged up at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, 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 let's make sure that he gets the W here for sure, man. He, he, he earned it in this conversation. I'm not sure if that was a compliment or what that was. I think he's recruiting you. He's taking the lessons from the last round. I'll take it. There you go. There you go. CJ, thank you for taking the high road. All right. And not just always, virtually always. hooking off on him like if he was Draymond. So thank you for that, sir. <laughs> we are going to move on to question number four, and we will start with last round's winner, Leon G. Barnes. 
Are market prices going up or down, and by how much? It varies by markets. Um, you know, I think we have every primary, secondary, and even tertiary market represented within our community. And um, you know, if you're in markets like Phoenix, you see you have seen 30% change, as much as 30% change in some of these markets like that, Salt Lake City. A lot of the mountain region has just been crushed. Phoenix, uh, Salt Lake. Boise, Reno, um, Spokane, Washington. I had some conversations the last few days and those prices have obviously come down. Boise had 125% increase over the last few years. So there's still room uh, for those prices to come down. And I'm in the third, um, in the United States, Tampa is number three. And when it comes to people moving here and I'm seeing price reductions left and right in this marketplace. So I do not think that we've hit bottom, but also in my in my Midwest market, I've only seen a 10% change. So again, this this varies by market, but I if I'm betting if I'm a betting man, price is going to continue to go down. Okay. CJ, your thoughts. I agree with Leon. I mean, right now you've got to really dial into your market. Uh, it's very market specific. Like I said, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, we're seeing the market hold pretty strong right now. Uh, but when I take a look at other markets where we wholesale that aggressively, I mean, we're seeing tons and tons of change in these larger markets, the Atlantas, the Tampas, the Phoenixes. Uh, we're seeing great change in those markets. The markets that I really like right now, the market is very similar to Richmond. You know, these mid-sized cities, uh, you know, the Memphis, Tennessee's, the Chattanoogas, the, you know, Birmingham, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, you know, these different places are really still holding strong so i think you have to be more dialed in with analyzing your market and knowing where you're doing business and then not being as afraid to pivot from a market and move into another territory uh, and do business virtually uh, and take advantage of those opportunities as well in stronger markets okay let's go over to eric brewer yeah i mean i think certainly there's it's just a math equation you can't you can't continue to have rates go up and prices not come down it just it cannot happen um, I think the real question is, um, will we see uh, the rate of appreciation um, become more sustainable and even over time? And that certainly um, will come back down to a normal amount. I mean, no one could have ever believed that what we were seeing 25, 30 percent increase year over year was ever sustainable. It's just going to flatten out. For, right, but I don't. I don't see with the demand how how prices can can. We're not going to see a bottom. We're not going to see a crash. We're just going to see a correction, and that feels more like a crash in places like Phoenix and Salt Lake because they saw double the amount of appreciation that even the the second craziest market saw. So there just had to be um, a bigger correction there than what we'll see anywhere else. Um, so yeah, prices are going to come down, but it's not going to crash like everybody's speculating. All right, and boss man, bring us home. So I'm going to try to actually answer the question. Um, so uh, I do believe that price is going to go down. And as far as by how much, I was I would speculate probably another 1%, 2% a month for the next few months. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next year. But we had Tina Tambor here yesterday, and she made a great point, I thought, that really interest rates going up any higher really can't hurt us anymore. We're, we're kind of like, you know, found as far as we can go. Going from 7% to 8%, 9%. If you're gonna buy a seven, nine percent might not scare you, right? But if seven percent scares you, nine percent definitely scares you. So, we've eliminated most of the buyers that are not gonna buy. Um, so I think that the demand, although low, a lot of people that are, uh, have the homes that don't need to sell, they're just gonna stay where they're at. We kind of talked about that last week. If you don't need to sell, why would you sell in this market? Why would you subject yourself to this abuse? So, um, I do think it's gonna to continue to go down one or two percent per month. 
for the next few months, but I, I think probably we're going to be even in 2023. Okay, the floor is I'll tell you one place, one place where that percentage from seven to nine uh, does make a difference, Steve, and that's we talked about the market in general where people not wanting to sell, but if there's buy downs of one, two, and three, like I had a conversation yesterday with a flipper in New York, and they've got, he's working with a mortgage broker right now that's allowing him to buy down the buyer's interest rate all the way down to 4%. You'd buy at 4%. That would make sense for you to sell your home if you could buy at 4%. It's not two like it was nine months ago. It's not three, but at four, that's a really good number. You start getting into nines and you can only buy down to five or six, you know, right? That 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 keeps you still on the sidelines from selling. So there's a little bit of a difference there where, like I said before with the Fed, if they keep banging us over the head with this, it doesn't allow to at least, like, like Eric said, it, it not necessarily crash, but it doesn't allow us some ability to move on the retail side. I think there's also like a lot of panic, you know, um, in our market because a lot of us haven't really been in the industry that long you know um remember like i started on the realtor side and so like if i sold your house in the first weekend five six years ago what was your reaction you clearly priced it too low you gave my house away now i don't sell your house in the first weekend what the hell are you doing steve why aren't you working harder right so like i think a lot of us uh, are conditioned the last two, three years that they don't know what it, a normal market feels like. And at least for us in our Phoenix market, it is mostly normal, but everyone's acting like the sky is falling. Yeah, uh, getting 20 cash offers is not normal. And we've seen that over the last three years. That's not a normal market. Yeah, I, I agree with all those statements, man. I think Eric made a really good point. You know, what we're really truly seeing is appreciation over the last, you know, really two to three years essentially reset itself. So if, if the market appreciated 140% in Phoenix and it's, it's going to take a drastic, more drastic hit that it's going to take in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it's just, it's just how the math functions out. And so we're just seeing that one thing that I'm even doing in a lot of our deals is I'm going back and taking a look at what were things trading for in that market or that neighborhood in 2018, 2019. What kind of insights can we get from taking a look at that and how can we kind of hedge our risk and, and take by taking a look at what the value of properties were at that time and almost asking ourselves, will the deal pencil out if we purchased it and, and had to sell it at the numbers that the properties were selling in the neighborhood in 2018, 2019? It doesn't work on every deal because of the appreciation, but definitely something that we're practicing that's been helping out quite a bit. And that was great info right there. Definitely good round all around. Uh, CJ is in a slight lead over Steve at 38%. So we will leave the voting open for just another minute. In the meantime, while that closes up, I do want to remind everyone to uh, subscribe to this channel, subscribe to the Part of the Disruption official clips and highlights channel. Uh, definitely check out each of these gentlemen individually, follow their socials. We're here every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. ish, providing free game. You can't beat free game. Uh, it looks like, Steve, I tried to game. buy you as much time as possible, but you're just not closing that 12% gap, sir. I'm not. I think we got to go check the ballot <laughs> you know, boxes. Hey, can I, can I add something here? Absolutely. Ahead, Real quick. See, this is, this, is in, this is for you, actually. There was something that you said in there that um, there's a reason there's a little bit of a percentage there over Steve. And I think this was not something I, that the listeners should just throw away. 
you said for those that are virtual, you're doing research of what things have uh, sold for in 18 and 19, and, and more importantly, looking into those tertiary markets where they haven't been affected as much. If you run a virtual model and you are in Phoenix, it may behoove you, even though we always talk about laser focus. Well, this if you're already virtual, you might as well look at a market that hasn't been affected the same. There's a nice little nugget in there that CJ gave you that I didn't want us just to throw away. Definitely. No, I appreciate that, man. Points for everybody. But those points are unofficial because there's only one person who gets a point, and that is based on the audience. And CJ, it looks like you took another one, man. No doubt, no doubt. But I, I really want people to realize what Leon pointed out that I was saying because I just see people so afraid to pivot, man. Like I talked to so many people new to wholesaling, and for whatever reason, like this thought process of having to do business where you live at is almost completely insane. It's so easy to virtually do business. Virtual wholesaling, like I've said on the show before, is literally a marketing term created to sell courses numbers of years ago. Wholesaling is simply wholesaling. And you can literally set up very simple op virtual uh, operations where you can do these you know, types of deals, man, and, and impact yourself and your business by going into these markets. Good point. I just want to point out I lost when I was the only one that actually answered the question, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> Talk to the audience, Steve. <laughs> Speak to the audience. They are showing out for CJ today. He's got a three-round lead. I'm sorry, a two-round lead on Leon and a three-round lead on you and Eric. So we need a, a big fourth and fifth round from you. We gotta make this. We gotta make this round the money ball. There we go. This one. This one will be worth <laughs> two points. How about that? We're gonna call an audible. This next round is worth two points. Uh, question number five. What's more important right now, mindset or technique? CJ, let's start with you. I like I like the money ball, by the way. Um, I'm more Bill Belichick, man. I like to run the score up. Uh, so look, here's, here's, here's my thought. All right, here's, here's my thought. Um, look, <laughs> no doubt. Mindset, mindset. It's always mindset. The answer is always going to be mindset. With proper mindset, you can accomplish so many different things. I see people that got technique that they're great. They said they got great voices. They got great sales technique. They sound good on the phones. They know how to do this. They know how to do that. But they don't have the mindset to win. As soon as they reach any type of adversity, they give up. As soon as they run into a deal not going through and not closing like it was supposed to, they just give up on the opportunity. So I think everything for me personally always comes down to mindset. I think technique can be developed. But if you've got technique and no mindset, you're not going to be making a lot of money. That's for sure. Okay. All right. Uh, Steve Trang. Unfortunately, I agree with Chris on this one. Uh, so yeah, I think mindset is key. I, I think mindset is one of those things that people say they talk about it and you think, you know, they say it's important and this and that. But the reality is mindset is what determines whether you're going to make it through or not. You know, uh, right now, a lot of people are going through adversity and there are a lot of people quitting. Like I said, we're experiencing that in our organization that there are just fewer wholesalers or investors showing up to the same appointments we're going to today. Right. A lot of our competition is gone and it hasn't been that long. Right. And I think the other thing, too, is uh, I talked about this uh, on a different podcast yesterday is that there's this hurdle that a lot of people go through where I don't deserve to be successful. Money is poison. Right. Like the pursuit of money is evil. Like there's so many things that we all tell ourselves. I think the reason that a lot of people don't make it is because they have a I don't know, the wrong mindset on success. And, you know, just last thing I'll say is for a lot of this country, profit's a bad word. You know, just think about that. Right. Leon G. Barnes, your thoughts? 
Well, if making money is wrong, then I don't want to be right. <laughs> Somebody with me? Somebody with me. We're all with you. Uh, I love it. All right. It. So, guys, mindset. We uh, This was so good to see this week because mindset is more important than anything right now. I don't care how good your technique is. If you're not in the right frame of mind, positive towards growth, then that you won't have the ability to execute. I'll give you a, a great case in point, you know, Big Shaq, um, you know, everyone worked with him on technique for his free throw, but he could never get it up here to six inches between, you know, in his head. He couldn't get that right, the mindset up top. And what I would encourage everyone is if you're not around a community or the top five people you spend the most time with don't, do not have the right mind, mindset, find yourself a new community or find yourself new mentors to be around the next six months. It's all about mindset like that. All right, Eric Brewer, bring us home, sir. I mean, to me, this is a very simple answer. Mindset is permanent, right? Like your, your mindset, when you are consciously aware of how you approach a situation, whether you have the right perspective, being a problem solver, not a problem reporter, will allow you to develop new technique and new technique will be required inevitably over and over and over and over. So to me, the only way that you'll always have the right technique is if you have the right mindset. So it, it's, it's not even, and I think it's, you know, certainly been, been proven by all four, four of us agreeing, but that's my spin on it is that you need the right mindset to be able to discover the right technique, right? And, and then work on the right technique. The main problem with a lot of people is they're still trying to do the same thing that worked six months ago because they have a broken mindset. So they're trying to execute on an outdated technique, even though they're great at it. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, as far as like hiring and recruiting, you know, you have the right attitudes. If you can demonstrate the right behavior, I'll give you the techniques. I'll teach you the techniques, right? I'll teach you the skills. But man, if you don't have the right core values, the right mindset and, and, and uh, you know, showing up to every day to get better, it doesn't matter. Giving you the techniques will be wasted. So I used to have uh, about 23 sales reps that I managed back in the corporate days. And there were days that which it would snow. And I would have of those 23, probably four or five that would get out in the snowstorm and still go sell and they would crush, you know why they said that everyone else they knew wasn't, they weren't going to go out and sell. Every other salesperson had the mindset of, I'm not getting out in this mess or they said, I'm getting out. That's the type of thing that what Eric talked about earlier, uh, this, this whole technique thing is that what, you're, what made you successful just a year ago uh, even eight months ago, isn't going to make you successful. And it's a different market today. Uh, and your business is going to be different. It's all upstairs. That's great points all around. Great points all around. The voting is open right now. Looks like there's only 10 votes in and there's 50 people watching live. So let's definitely get some votes in there. Gentlemen, any other points you'd like to make to try to sway some of these voting numbers? Because it looks like it's almost a four-way tie potentially right now. I heard something uh, at the at CG um, this week, and it was a it was I want to say it was Levi. He was talking about this. His company was Paxwell, um, and he basically yeah, said, "Land guy." Yeah, he basically said, "You know, this is is a parable or whatever. You know, the guy shows up to sell shoes, and he shows up to the village, and no one's wearing shoes. 
right? First guy says, oh, no, this is not a shoe-wearing village. Let's just leave. Other guy says, no one has shoes. We have so much opportunity in this village. It's mindset, right? Uh, another one I, I, I liked from a, it was a poker book I read. You know, what you see depends on where you stand. Like your, your perspective on this completely changes depending on exactly where you're standing. One thing I'll say real quick is when it comes to mindset for me, like everybody's always asking me all the time, like, hey, how have you been able to overcome this? How have you been able to do this? How have you been able to do that? The answer is always mindset. But the, most importantly is this, is that people generally stop like you lose your, your pattern of success at whatever point you, you tend to get comfortable at. See, and I've talked to my students about this recently. We all, we, all of us started at a point of being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with what we should be doing, uncomfortable with the information, uncomfortable with what to say to sellers, just uncomfortable about making investments in our business, just uncomfortable. And then we get some comfort because we start to have some formulation of success. And then the mindset of some people makes them stop there. That's why you have so many investors that never go to these levels that they want to go to. Mindset is constantly finding ways to make yourself uncomfortable to create new comfortability later. And so the mindset to get through that uncomfortableness is important because that's where you plateau and get stuck. And so I, I can't emphasize, emphasize enough, man, how important it is to really tune in on mindset. I'm always seeing people reading real estate books and this, that, and the third. Really, people should be reading mindset books all the time uh, because that's what's going to carry you through and that's what's going to help you develop the technique. You know, I, I've, I've been to a lot of real estate seminars. and I always struggle with this. Um, I hated how much time they spent on mindset. I hated it. I didn't realize until many, many years later how much the rest of the world is broken, right? A lot of people just have the wrong ideas in their heads. Um, and I'm not saying like I, I, I have it all figured out. I've just been blessed, you know, to have, you know, awesome parents that taught me a lot, uh, taught me the right opportunities and how to take advantage of situations. Uh, but I had no idea how much the world needs it. And I think if you asked me, Early part of my career is like, forget the mindset stuff. Give me the techniques. I will go figure it out. But these days, I've, you know, I've come to appreciate how valuable uh, mindset is. There's a reason that every great sports coach, uh, when you step on a court or you step on a field, what do they say? Get your mind right. Get your mind on the game. Let's move forward. But we can't, we can't win without your mind right. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Steve, I want to highlight uh, the quote that you said of – what you see depends on where you're standing. Is that correct? Yep. What do you think Jordan Poole was seeing based on where he was standing? <laughs> he and saw is that up for interpretation. He saw a very angry person. He saw a very angry person. He saw but stars. Look, That's what he saw. He, he saw, saw stars. stars. But, I mean, like going back to that, right? Like here's here's something I was always frustrated frustrated in in playing basketball. You know, like the officiating. You have one group of guys that would complain and be loud. They complain about every single call. And they never get a technical, you know, and I am never complaining. And I say one inappropriate thing and I get teed up. What was it? Right. It's perspective. I acted out of character. Perspective of the officiating. You know what? You get an unofficial point from me for that closing statement. But again, <laughs> it does not matter because it's up to the people and the people have landslided CJ on this one again. Forty eight percent of the votes going to the U. Uh, Weasel, man. I'm, like the, I'm like the hedge funds, man. I'm 48-something percent of the market, bro. That's just how it is. It's heavy in here for the U right now. I'm not going to lie. It's heavy. Uh, 
that that definitely puts you as this week's winner but we still have one more question before we get to the audience submitted question uh this is a reminder that this show is not currently sponsored by anyone so if you would feel free to send us an email steve what was the email again steve at disruptors.com there it is send us an email let us know that you want to sponsor part in the disruption and also make sure you include uh your signing bonus for the host thank you so so much for that <laughs> Audience, if you are watching right now, drop a question that we will potentially use for next week's uh, Part of the Disruption episode. The question for this week, our sixth question, our audience submitted question is, how do you see rental rates changing over the next cycle? And what is the importance of having a strong cash flow during a down cycle? Let's go with CJ. Say that again, man. I'm, I'm yeah. laughing at Larry Bush's comment uh, in the in the in the comments. <laughs> lunch, lunch on CJ for the U today. Okay, okay. Uh, how do you see rental rates changing over the next cycle, and what's the importance of having a strong cash flow during a down cycle? Yeah, so I see rental rates dropping temporarily, and then I see them spiking up aggressively in the next 24, 36 months, man. Uh, I think we're moving aggressively towards a more rental-based society. I've talked with multiple people that are at much larger firms and and seeing how aggressively hedge funds are buying up complete neighborhoods. I mean, there's a hedge fund in Atlanta right now that will pay you to develop a neighborhood and pre-buy the entire neighborhood from you in advance. There's home builders that are doing much of the very same thing. And I, I think this is gonna greatly spike uh, rental rates in the future. Uh, in terms of how important cash flow is, I think it's the most important thing. There was a point in my life where cash flow wasn't the most important thing. I loved the big chunks of money that came from flipping, that came from wholesaling, all these different things. But when I ran into problems, the thing that I prayed at night that I wish I had built more of was cash flow. And so really important to me in these, in these days is just creating more cash flow opportunities in my business. And then also talking to people that I teach, not just about wholesaling and getting cash, but taking that cash and not going and buying new stuff, but taking that cash and going creating new asset passive income opportunities and creating cash flow for yourself that you can depend on and build a great business from. Okay. All right. And Steve, before we go over to you, this is a reminder that since it's an audience submitted question, there's no hard buzzer. We want the audience to get the answer to their question fully. So take advantage of the time, sir, because if you end the day with zero points, we are not going to let you hear the end of it. So, Steve, <laughs> how do you see rental rates Back changing? Back in the deck. <laughs> how do you see rental rates changing over the next cycle? And what's the importance of having strong cash flow during a down cycle? Well, I think rental rates are going to be going down. We're already seeing it uh, in our market, at least in Phoenix. Um, historically, if you have a rental property, you don't post an MLS. Uh, and the MLS is like the last place you post it, right? So, typically, you go to your property manager, maybe you go on Facebook, whatever. Now, you have to post on MLS. So we're seeing already rates going down and we're seeing uh, so the intel we're getting uh, from some of the uh, funds is that they're predicting the interest, uh, the rental rates are going to go down even further. So they're planning for rental rates to go down. As far as the, any kind of pressure on interest rates or, or rental rates would be mortgage rates, right? So right now it's much more expensive to own than to rent. At some point, the, the uh, cost to own will go down. And I think that the rental rates of... They've appreciated so much in the last few years. There's no way it, it, it can, can it can go up. I think anymore. As far as cash flow, uh, I think that that is one of the things that we all wish we have when things are difficult. Because cash flow is what actually allows you to live the life you want to live. Cash is great. We all love chunks of cash, but having a consistent cash flow is what allows you to say no to things you don't want to do. Right. If you have to do deals right now to survive, and I'll put myself on my, on my investment arm, right? If we're not doing deals, we're in trouble. 
So if you have to do deals to survive, then you have to say yes to certain things that normally you might say no to. So cash flow gives you that freedom. The reason why we all got into this business, but you know, right now we're all chasing active, active income. Taking full advantage of no harsh buzzer in that round. I like it, sir. Uh, Leon, your thoughts. Cash is king. Cash has always been king. Um, and from the rental standpoint, you know, as a landlord myself, I have seen the last three years my rental increase per door average go up four to five hundred dollars per door. Is that sustainable? Of course not. And just as the the retail market wasn't sustainable at 100 percent, 125 percent increases in some of these markets, we know at some point they're going to come down. I would argue and say that uh, that's a little farther out than it would be uh, normally. And, and the biggest reason I say that is because that all those people that are waiting to buy, I'm one of them. I am not buying in a market in which an interest rate is in the sevens and the, 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 the prices haven't come down as far as I would like. Um, there are still people that uh, will continue to rent and there's less rentals available. So. I don't think you see uh, any changes, you know, probably Q3, Q4, uh, but we know that it's coming down. Pre foreclosures are up and that that part of it is going to um, if, if we if we see pre foreclosures, we know people are having struggles paying their bills ultimately. So in time, that would also bring down those rental markets. But from the standpoint of having cash guys it's the most important thing right now especially as we go into a market where you might be able to take advantage of some deals that come your way a couple hundred dollars a door doesn't make as much sense as having a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank to take advantage and not make those dumb decisions as steve was talking about earlier okay eric brewer bring us home i mean i think it's it's inevitable that rents are going to continue to go up particularly in place right now where they are under market you can't see them go up much more in some of these areas where the rents have completely gotten out of control. But the reality is, is when you raise rates to slow down the buying market, it forces more qualified buyers to become a tenant. This isn't even a, uh, this is just a math equation, right? If less, they gotta live somewhere. When they raise interest rates, it's not like all of these people that need a home just decide to live outside, right? They have to go somewhere, which is gonna raise rents. I think you're going to see a, a lot of people moving from the Northeast and from the coast, both East and West in towards the middle of the country, because that's an affordable place to live. And we factor in affordability as down payment and monthly payment, and more people can manage a higher monthly payment than they can 15% down or 10% down or whatever on the house that they need to buy. So rents will continue to increase. And of course, cash flow is important. The real question should be, how do I create cash flow? That's probably a great question for, because everybody, no one would ever say that it doesn't matter or it's not the most important thing, but how do I create it, right? I think there's this big myth of passive income. Um, we talk a lot about, particularly in CG, is the best way to get passive income is to make a boatload of active income. So you have to go out and make money to be able to invest it, to have that money make you money. You cannot skip that step. Unless you inherited money, you have to make it before you can invest it. And that invested money is what creates cash flow. Great round all around. And 
just as Eric said, it's a it's a math equation. You know, boatload. That's just below a shit ton. That's just how the <laughs> that system works. Yep. Yeah, and I will say that you know, for sure, they're not going to go live outside. But and I can't speak for all markets. I don't, I can only speak for my market. The funds have bought so many properties to keep as rentals that they've now put themselves in a position where they have a lot of rentals. I think I guess a shit ton of rentals, uh, and so. There you go. That is what's putting a downward pressure uh, on rental prices. They've they've pushed it up so much that it's now finally starting to correct in a different direction. I think Eric's got a great point here in regards to middle of the country. I all of my rentals are in the smack dab middle of this country, and I have for the last um, now four years. Um, we have I can't tell you how fast our doors have been going. Um, and it, it's B, A, A, B, C class all across the board. And uh, we have seen, this is why I said earlier, is that I don't see them coming down in places like where I have uh, properties anytime soon, um, just because the inventory is still low. There's plenty of renters out there and there's less buyers of properties right now that can afford to buy a house, but need a nice property to live. Good points all around. Good points all around. Uh, it looks like there is a two-way tie right now. Steve is trying his best to get this point, and I think he deserves a point, everyone in the chat, because he used all three 45 seconds of his competitors <laughs> to answer his question. <laughs> and yeah. he's holding on. And I'll tell you what, the other discussion in terms of uh, discussing shit tons, it looks like the next shit ton <laughs> will be uh, the U and the amount of lunch that you're going to have to purchase because it looks like you didn't get anyone lunch for these votes, CJ. So while we're talking about this, you know, I had a chance to, uh, we had John Braley on the show a few weeks ago, you know, and uh, he's been doing this since 89 and he got to, well, Eric's gone. He's boycotting. So, um, so John was on the show and he had, a, he was sharing with me, you know, uh, his, his strategy. And I, I kind of was surprised, but he said, I decided to take the last three years off because this market is crazy. Right. He got to do that because he's got massive cash flow, right? I mean, back in 2008, 2009, he was buying 20 houses a month for three years. You think he's got some cash flow. So he just said, hey, I've, I've taken the last three years off. I like what I see. I'm about to get back into this. That's what cash flow buys you. You know how many people, to, to, to your point, uh, I had a ton of people that said that in 2008, 2009, I didn't get to take full advantage of, of the opportunity. I'm not going to have that happen again as this comes our way. Not necessarily a crash like that, but they don't, they're setting themselves up. Yeah. And then uh, a different conversation, conversation I was having is I, I got a chance to experience the crash in 2007 through 2010, right? So I said, okay, I can't wait for the next crash. Right now, what, what did we all experience? We got to see what happens when the company, when the government prints money and the Fed comes in to clean up the mess. I cannot wait till the next time the government's printing money so I can take advantage of the stock market oh, doing man. this <laughs> and then leaving before this. There you go. Steve, I want to congratulate you, sir. All right. You have a point on the board. Let's go. Good. I, I was worried I was going to have to, I was worried I was going to have to Draymond Green, Chris, so we're good. <laughs> 
Thank you for not taking it there. Thank you for not taking it there. Take it back to college, man. Take it back to college. <laughs> that will conclude today's show. Uh, we do want to thank everyone for their participation and voting in the chat. Please feel free to share this video with a friend, a colleague, a family member. Uh, let's get more people in here each and every Thursday at 1130 a.m. ish. Really quickly going left to right virtually. Let's sign off. Uh, Steve Trang, say your goodbye, sir. Yeah, I mean, again, thank you, everybody, for watching. You know, uh, if there's other people you think might get value out of this, you know, please share it with them. We're, we've got, again, this is kind of like having a behind-the-scenes conversation. You go to a nice mastermind or great mastermind. These are the kind of conversations we're having. So, you know, if you have someone that you can think of that would get value out of this, definitely get them on the, get them on to watch this. Yeah. Eric Brewer, sign off. He's boycotting. He already signed he off. He pulled an RJ Bates. <laughs> yeah, okay, well. That's usually how it ends. Uh, Leon, <laughs> your goodbye. Yeah, well, yes, Leon Barnes, the collective genius. I really appreciate today's show. The debate was, was fire. A lot of great points. And obviously, this is free information that uh, a lot of you can go out and use in, in, in tomorrow, right? Um, and to our conversation earlier about positive mindset, that mindset in general, um, getting through the next quarter or two or three, you want to be around positive people, find yourself a positive community like the Collective Genius. If you're doing 25 plus transactions a year, check us out at learnmoreaboutcg.com. There we go. All right, and CJ, the champ is here. Landslide victory, sign off, sir. Oh. We got a. It looks like you're back on last week's setup. We're having some issues. With you. Much love. There we go. There we go. Everybody. I think that means See it's time to go. Next week. Had a great time. Cut him off. They cut off his bandwidth. Yeah, cut off his mic. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. We will see you guys next week. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>